Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Zach, welcome back to A Little More Good. Oh, thanks so much, Dean. It's good thanks to have for you. having me. Yeah, hey, it's good to have you here today. <laughs> Beautiful sunny day in Steveson. As always. You know, I saw the forecast this morning. It was like rain. But look outside. Man, it's a beautiful day out it's, there. It's always sunny in Seaston. Yeah, I love those forecasts when they're wrong in this direction, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, it's going to rain. It turns out to be like this. You know, I learned something new about the, the forecast the other day. Tell us. You know what it says, like, 30% chance of rain? You know what it means? Like, I thought it means there's 30% chance that it'll rain and there's 70% chance that it'll be sunny. But it means that there's 30% of the city that that could get rain. Yeah. Isn't that, did it's, you know that? I, I did, yeah, sorry. That blew my mind. But it's the first, I remember when I learned it, I was like, wait, what? Yes. It's like, yeah, 30% of this city will experience rain. Yes. 70% of it will not. But there's a 100% chance it will rain. Yes. But just where? Yes. I know, yeah. I started changing my, my because we live in Steveston. Right. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> so when I look at Richmond, I was like, oh, 70% of, 70% of Richmond will have rain. But then if I look at Ladner, which we're closer to than East or Central Richmond, it'll be like 10%. So, so I'm slower. like, ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to follow that Ladner <laughs> forecast because it's making me feel good. It's like all of the goodness of Ladner without having to go through the tunnel. <laughs> oh, shade on Ladner. <laughs> Sorry, Ladner. The good farmer's market, though. That's right. <laughs> Ladner is a place. That's great. It is a place. <laughs> that's a saying. I think that's a Ladner saying. Uh, Ladner is a place. It's a great place. Shout out yeah. to Ladner. There you go. All right. So weather and forecast aside, <laughs> we got a great podcast for you this week. Yeah. Really excited for, for today's episode. Good friend of ours. Good friend. Somebody that's near and dear that I admire as an individual, mm-hmm. as um you know, as a businessman, I, I see uh, Andrew as someone that I look up to, that uh, as, as a mentor and a friend. Um, so, yes, Andrew Sabari. Andrew Sabari. 
from Myo Detox. Yeah. Great dude. Wonderful, wonderful um, clinician, physiotherapist. Also, uh, super deep thinker, like really creative kind of individual. We've gone for some runs and I mean, the, the conversation that we share just like cruising around the seawall or we had this epic Father's Day run that we did through Pacific Spirit. And I mean, we could just jam on anything and it's, he's just, he's just really such a great human being. I think you nailed that. Of all things, I think Andrew's a thought leader. Mm. I'm always inspired and, and, and I feel like when we have these conversations on runs, he reveals new perspectives that I hadn't previously considered. And he's incredible at that. He always sees perspectives that aren't obvious, that are, are maybe different than the mainstream. And that's something I'm really grateful for, for Andrew. He always brings new perspectives to the conversation. Yeah. Um, and he's super stylish. What a stylish guy. Stylish. Man. Got, guy's got swag. Yeah, definitely. Good runner. Drippy, as Drippy. the kids would say. He's got cool. <laughs> he's got cool clothes. Yeah. So yeah. give him a follow on the IG if you want to be inspired for movement, for fashion, for conversation. That's right. Doctor Drew's got it all. Basketball. On. Basketball. Yeah. Well, we did um, years ago. We uh, were in a three-on-three tournament together, and Drew must have been out of friends that were good at basketball because he asked me to be on his team, <laughs> and. Uh, we lost the first game, so it put us in the losers bracket. But we like won the rest. We won out and made it to like the losers finals. Andrew, on top of his style, a guy can hit threes. He was on fire. There you go. And he's a team player too. There we go. There's our love fest for Andrew Sabari. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Overall, great guy. Should we just let the podcast do the talking? Let's let it roll. We're talking about future proofing your body, movement for longevity, all that good stuff. You'll you'll enjoy it. Let's go. All right, all right. We're live on location at WeWork with the one and only Andrew Sabari. Dr. Drew is in the house. Dr. Drew. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. Thanks for for hosting us, Drew. We're so excited to chat. Thanks for having me on. Very excited. It's been a a topic for a while now. I know. Every time we go for a run, we're like... I'm like that was a podcast. I wish we recorded that conversation. Yeah, yeah. And funny enough, I feel like every single time we do run, it's like a new topic and new gems. You know. I know the magic of the run. We'll get into that. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that I want to talk about today, mostly around future proofing and optimizing your body. And I feel like this has come a long way, like in the last like 15, 20 years. Like if you think about like athletes from when we were growing up, like. These guys like relied more on their natural ability than their like their regiment of taking care of themselves. You know, like if you look at LeBron James today, like he spends millions of dollars on recovery and physiotherapists and massage therapy and just like taking care of his body. And when like I remember watching like hockey with my dad when I was like five and like they would be having beer after the game and smoking cigarettes between intermission. Like Guy Lafleur was like famous for having cigarettes at the intermission, and now it's like the best diet, the best you know physio, the best like everything. Your body is your temple, and uh, it's changed a lot. You know. Yeah, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because uh, you guys have seen the Last Dance. Yes. You know, there's a, a number of clips where you see. Jordan is just like drinking a beer pregame or smoking a cigar pregame. Yeah. And when you compare that to like today, present day, guys are coming in with like 
you know, pre-bagged lunches that are probably made by nutritionists that they yes. carry on at the plane or yeah. that they're like carrying into the into the game and the dressing room. And you're like, what oh, is shifting culture? It's crazy. completely different. Yeah. Wild, right? Yeah, it's actually really, really interesting. And it's hard to imagine that those guys accomplished what they did. Yes. Like eating and the habits, the lifestyle that they led and they accomplished what they did. Like how much better would Jordan have been? Oh, yeah. If, if he, was, he was on today's program. Right? Imagine vegan Jordan. Oh, my. face Jordan. It's like, forget free throw guy. It'd be yeah. like center court. That's you know? right. Yeah. But it's true. Like natural Unlock. ability, natural ability, like took so many people so far. But it is, you kind of wonder like, oh man, what potential was lost by not taking care of their bodies in the like lead up and certainly like afterwards in the recovery phases, right? Like yeah. You look at like Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player of all time, and he was kind of like a skinny guy, you know? Like there wasn't a lot of like uh, just on like superficial value. There, He didn't look like the fittest guy in the rank, you know? No, no. And then you look at um, how much how much is focused on like strength and conditioning programs. And then, yes. you know, now with the, the way that these teams have got their um, player health and performance divisions yeah. built out, uh, we worked with the OKC um, – uh, OKC Thunder, uh, uh, you know, player and performance team, and it was like eleven professionals, right, servicing a, a team of what four, fourteen to sixteen players. Yeah, and it, they've got their bases covered, you know. And uh, back then, it's probably like maybe two guys. You know, one guy's like maybe a healthcare practitioner, the other one's like just like a trainer, some yeah. some guy that's just been around with the team. That's certainly what it was like when I was working with a hockey team, uh, you know, on, in a junior hockey club. It was the trainer who did first aid and did a lot of that stuff was just like a guy that had been there for 30 years. <laughs> What's your qualifications? Yeah. I don't know. I showed up one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Wow. That's good. That's good. It's um, so you've been around like you've been around some sporting teams, right? Yeah. In your professional career. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I've done a lot of uh, work with athletes and, you know, had a, had, you know, the blessing of being able to work with um, one of physios, kind of Michael Jordan's, I, my, my, in my opinion, uh, Alex McKechnie, and w- while working with him, got to uh, work with a, a number of, of professional athletes. And so um, it was really interesting to just kind of uh, work with those players and the, the, their capacity and their you said natural ability, right? Skill set. So, okay, let's 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 rewind it back a little bit, and we'll get to to how you're almost Kobe Bryant's uh, personal trainer, <laughs> <laughs> physiotherapist. <laughs> so, you know, growing up in high school, basketball fan, you know, huge fan of the sport. Um, you decide that you're going to go apply for physio school at UBC. Yep. And you'd never gone to physio before applying to go to physiotherapy school, right? No, never. So kind of like talk us through that. Like what was what was the, the thought process? I, I've never, I've you've never been to physio, but you're like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, so it's really interesting because um, I was in grade 10. My, my, my younger brother had broken his arm. Uh, no, sorry, he had broken his leg and um, needed to get rehab. So uh, my mom was taking him to uh, a physio clinic here in, in Burnaby. And she came home one day and she said, here's the prerequisites for physiotherapy and just put it on the fridge. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, What is it? She's like, oh, they work with athletes and it looks like a good job. And so that was basically like the inception moment, right? Um, 
just had in my mind that that this was an option as part of healthcare. And in our culture, in the Filipino culture, like healthcare is just like revered as the safest, best bet. You know, if you're if you're you know shooting for the stars, you're gonna be a doctor. You know. Um, a, a safe place, really well respected, opens lots of doors for you. A uh, profession, nursing. So, and I didn't really know if I wanted to do either of those. So when I went to um, university, I went into first year sciences, and then after your first year, you can kind of apply to physio school. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, it's healthcare, but I get to work with athletes, I think, and sports is like what I like to do. Um, so I thought it was a nice marriage of the two things, um, and so I applied not having ever stepped foot into a physiotherapy clinic, ever. <laughs> I didn't even know what they did. And yeah. we had a family friend that was a physio and they were like, well, why don't you go shadow him and, and, and hang out with him for a day? And he did the complete opposite of the spectrum of like working with athletes. What he did was he was uh, a, a uh, mobile physiotherapist and worked primarily with people that like were at home and um, had been in car accidents. And it was like, <clears throat> a much more sedentary population, um, like really not like what I was kind of envisioning. So at that point, after like shadowing him, I was like, oh man, like, cause I had this application process and I had an interview set up and I was like, do I even wanna, like, I don't know if I wanna do that. Right. So, um, but thankfully um, it all worked out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A really funny story that, that I tell a lot of people is that um, because I, I didn't know anything about physio at all, the physiotherapy industry, the culture, never stepped foot into a clinic. I didn't know that, like, this, what's the standard uniform that you see at any physio clinic? Oh, yeah. Like a golf shirt and, like, some khakis. slacks, some yeah. khakis and, like, yeah. like runners. Skechers. Skechers. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Black, no black Skechers. No shade to Skechers. Like, not... Uh, you guys can't see Drew right now, but he's like highly stylish, drippy, drippy, <laughs> as the kids would say. Not, yeah. not the uh, you know the physio that. Uh... That's just me battling with a midlife crisis. So, <laughs> but, Good. but you know, in the, the, the so that you guys nailed it, right? It's like the the collared shirt, you know, um, you know, golf shirt, or, or maybe even like a button down shirt, or whatever. I had no idea that that was like the culture. So I, I get this letter and it says you know, you have an interview, it's a professional school, like, please come dress appropriate, appropriately. So I'm 19 years old, and I'm thinking, this is a professional deal, like, I gotta come correct, you know? So I put on my suit from prom. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm wearing the suit from prom, and I open the door to the waiting area, and there's like, you know, 15 people in there all dressed like physios, right? right? They're like in slacks, in golf shirts. They turn their head. And I basically, the only thing I'm missing is a corsage, right? <laughs> or, like, or like whatever that is, the, the boutonniere, yeah, right? Yeah. That's the only thing I'm missing. <laughs> and they all just look at me and they just like, I seen a couple people chocolate. I'm like, oh man, I'm like way overdressed. And uh, funny enough, uh, later the year, I, uh, I run into the, the, the panel. There was one of the panel members um, who was a student in the program. And I ran into him. I was like, hey, how do you think my interview went? And he's like, well, the suit certainly made an impression. <laughs> I was like, sick. <laughs> so I like to think I got him because of the That's suit. That's right, yeah. yeah. So how come you, like, I've, I've come to many treatments with you now. I've never got the suit treatment. I'm, yeah. I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it doesn't fit anymore. I'm, yeah. like, well, I'm way too old. But uh, yeah, now it's more jogging pants and a sweater. So yeah. way too casual. I've gone the opposite way. Yeah. But it's kind of good though. Like I remember, you know, coming to see you for the run assessment and like you were able to really like demo some of the things that I could be doing after to like not be so injured all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, it just makes sense that you should be dressed in a way that is like casual, comfortable and like can do that, let alone like modern gym teacher, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just like not, not it being so like clinical and stiff and maybe people want that. Like, they, mm-hmm. but for me at least it's like, puts me at ease being like okay this guy knows what's up and like can look cool while he's doing it yeah yeah i think you need to be able to demonstrate you know um the exercises and the movements and positions for your clients and and i think it's also just like really challenging what our like preconceived notions are of like what actual constitutes what actually constitutes professionalism yeah totally yeah well i mean whatever like another anecdote like when i was a kid i had to go to physio for like you know achilles tendonitis which was an issue and, you know, still plagues me in some ways. Now I'm taking my daughter because she's like having some issues, right? I'm like, oh yeah, just make sure you stretch, take it from me. But like, anyway, I remember going and it's like khaki, you know, button down shirt or whatever. And you go in and explain what's going on. And it's like, okay, here, ice, ice for a few minutes. Then I'm going to come back and put this machine on you for a few minutes. And like, you can turn the dial and it's like, you know, one of those like Dr. Ho kind of like flexes your muscles for you. And you see so you're sitting on this bed, just like passive. And the machine is like flexing your muscles and electroshock therapy. And it feels kind of neat and whatever, just like turning it up, see how far I can get it before it like really starts to hurt. And then some other machine like the, what do they call Ultrasound. It? Ultrasound machine yeah. for a few minutes. He's doing that. And then it's like, okay, go home and do these stretches. And you're kind of like, okay. <laughs> very passive so mm-hmm. if we're talking about like what professional is it's like then you know years later when i went back to physio it was like oh my god this is totally different mm-hmm. like when do i get the machine and they're like oh no 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 no, we don't do that anymore <laughs> so yeah i mean it's it's crazy to think that that was the standard for a long time yeah um glad to see that the profession is moving in a direction where we're, we're trying to provide the best evidence-based care um, and understanding that you just can't swing the pendulum all the way to the other side of the spectrum. There was a moment where people weren't doing any manual therapy with people. There was a moment where you only did exercise. There was a time where people only did manual therapy, didn't do any exercise. And, you know, I think we're finding that it's in the middle where you're getting a combination of both modalities, you know, manual therapy and exercise where you're getting kind of the best results you're getting the best buy-in from the client you're getting pain modulation but you're also getting um people moving which at the end of the day that's what's going to create long long long-term change to the body and to the injury is actually like stressing the tissue right you know and making it adapt so yeah a long a long way from the the suited up interview yeah the and, and, then the, and then the machines <laughs> so suiting up kind of going back to what dean was talking about just to kind of like uh pump you up a little bit they know that so people can know you're not just like an average average everyday physio like you had an opportunity to go kind of take that road to to work with professional af- athletes and professional sports teams but you kind of reflected on it and you opted to be a physio for for the people versus a physio for kind of the elite um, can you kind of walk us walk us through through that decision? And yeah, I mean, 
there, 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 there was a couple opportunities where, you know, um, I think working with, first of all, I think working with a, a professional sports team is um, still part of the dream, right? And um, working with professional athletes, um, I'm just lucky that I've been able to, um, you know, in my career. But um, at the time, it was something that I kind of hesitated because two things, I'd started my practice and it was, you know, starting to generate quite a bit of momentum, was, you know, a successful business. And number two, my, you know, my family was, you know, we were just, um, we had two kids at the time and um, we were pretty anchored, like we were settled. We had support, uh, support systems. My wife had a great, jo- great job. So I think it would have been really, really challenging to the fabric of like our family at the time. And um, and then philosophically, I'll get, I'll get to your you know your, your your question philosophically as to why it is that I really do like just love working with you know the the average or you know the, the general population instead of just elite athletes. But um, and you guys aren't average. I, think I mean, you, you still get. Like, the I was gonna say, I was like, we all, I still I've worked with some elite athletes, <laughs> and are... they happen to be in this room with me. Elite amateurs. <laughs> But um, lead average, lead at being average. That's right. Yeah, I, I, you know, I tell the story a lot. Um, that the day that I kind of was like, you know what, I don't think I necessarily want to go down that road, and and kind of said no to an opportunity. I called my wife right away, and I was like, man, I am so stressed out. I think I just turned away like the opportunity of a lifetime to you know work with a professional sports team and and um, you know kind of go down that road. And she was like, oh, okay, great. Well, just you know to add to your stress today because I was headed to the gym. She's like, sends me a text message of a positive pregnancy test. And that was a day that I also found out we're going to have our third kid. So I was like, okay, I really need to work out now. I really (laughs) need to lift and drop a bunch of weights and get some stress out. So, but going back to what you're saying about like working with the average person, and this actually ties into like, you know, what we're seeing with like the average, like the athletes nowadays, sorry, you know, and like the, just the, the, the standard of care and the standard of life that they kind of and performance that they're looking for that's kind of trickled down to the general population right yeah for sure and it's like personally i'm tired of the exclusivity of good therapy only being for the elite mm-hmm. right for the best athletes it's like why can't you know my mom or my aunt or your grandmother or yourself like you live in you know this part of vancouver or, you know richmond or whatnot you should have access to really good quality therapy and you know i think pushing pushing that standard and that momentum in our industry is kind of like what really excites me about just like trying to elevate the standards of the profession that's cool. I definitely see that on my detox. Like before, when I started coming in, seeing yourself and getting to know the business, like I feel a lot of, not to like throw shade on any other clinics or anything like that, but I feel like a lot of therapy focused uh, modalities are like very much about the the operation and less about the business. Whereas when I walk into like my detox, it very much feels like there's community, there's like connection, there's like vision beyond the transaction of that one treatment and um, it makes that therapy experience feel like um, 
yeah, you're you're experiencing a community experience more than just like, okay, do these three stretches and then, you know, the next client is going to get like their three st- stretches and it feels like less like a kind of assembly line of just injured people coming in and out. It's interesting because when you look at athletes, they're they're accustomed to getting guidance and that guidance happens for a long period of time. It happens when they're healthy, it happens when they're they, they're, they're injured, it happens when they're trying to achieve new personal bests. And so that guidance should be coming from your physiotherapist, right? But it, the average person, the expectation is that you get guidance for when you're hurt, and that's it. And sayonara. And that's like good therapy because you've been discharged quickly, you didn't need to use services for a very long period of time. But what about this whole guidance thing? What about this this person that's guiding you through life so that you can continue to maximize and squeeze every little ounce of life out? Like people don't know how to move well. Mm. And they actually feel like it's their God-given right to know how to move well because it's their own body. But they just they they don't have that knowledge. And then they think that they could just go on Google and be like, oh well, I saw this thing on Google, so it's probably this, or oh, I'm probably suffering from that, or if I do these five exercises and have six pack abs it's just like you it doesn't work like that and that's kind of where like at Mayo we're we're trying to index on like the relationship not just a transaction and because that relationship means like we can have an opportunity to make an impact in your life further down the road further down the spectrum further down the line in terms of like from injury versus performance right like who's going to be your 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 person, your go-to person to give you guidance on how to hit that next PB on your marathon without getting injured, right? You're going to get great guidance from your performance coach. You're going to get great guidance from strength conditioning. Then who's going to tell you how to stay there and not get hurt, mm-hmm. right? And that's the, that's the role that a lot of people don't like necessarily right away think, yeah, I got to go see my therapist. Right, yeah, because kind of the conventional thinking is like you go to physio when you've been injured. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't seek it out as like injury prevention mm-hmm. or certainly like how to move my body in a way that is like best suited for my sport or whatever it is that I'm doing to make sure that I'm doing it in a healthy way that will give me longevity, right? Because mm-hmm. most people who are active people like are looking and saying, oh, I want to live like a long, healthy life. And then, you know, and myself too is often like neglect the preventative treatment and simply like seek out when it's like, oh, my hamstrings exploded again. Like, can you jam a few needles in there and sort me out? And then I'll see you when it's hurt again, right? Mm-hmm. But flipping that script is the whole like future proof. It absolutely, that's exactly it. That's exactly what future proof is. But that's actually the unique platform that My Detox has because it's relevant. And so the only way you can change a narrative is if a lot of people hear it. So you could scream from the rooftops, and that was one of the reasons why I joined Mayo, was that in order to make this kind of change happen from a cultural standpoint, you need to have a platform where people, like a lot of people have like eyes on it, right? So if we can change how people perceive that process, yeah. then we know we won. Right, right. Can we, can we kind of jam on future-proofing for a little bit? Like we talk a lot about food and other other aspects that we future-proof our body like we're all about preventative um you know health measures with the food that we take and and you know the supplements that we are part of our 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 habits but i think like you're talking about when it comes to seeing a therapist or 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 whatnot like sometimes we we neglect that and just come in when we're 
injured. It's like we only see a doctor when we're sick, but the whole goal is to, you know, have longevity, to have a sustained sense of health well into our elder years. So can you kind of talk about what future proofing means to you and, and kind of the habits around optimizing your body? Yeah, I mean, future proof, you know, we like to think about basically life and having the most options in life, right? And, you know, by putting in the work today, it opens the doors for tomorrow. So if you understand the movement, like the range of motion requirements for a certain activity, you understand the baseline movements that you need to have control of in that activity, and then eventually what is like the strength demands and the performance demands of that activity. If you kind of understand the demands of each of those aspects, then you can start to train or move or prepare yourself for that activity in a way that's either to maintain your current state of performance or to increase or like level up your performance. So if I don't move a certain, like if I don't prepare myself for um, an activity in terms of like, like for example, uh, running, I mean, you know, we all love to run and I uh, can't wait to talk about running with you guys. But um, if, if I don't have the prerequisite range of motion in my lower extremity, in my hips, in my ankles, in my knees, and also in my thoracic cage for rotation, um, my shoulders, right? My body's gonna compensate somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's gonna find it somewhere else. And that's kind of the start of the slippery slope, right? Then your body's also gonna start using different muscles, right? Instead of using your hamstrings, it starts to use your, your calves too much or, or you know maybe you're using your hip flexors way too much. And that again just adds to the snowball, right? And then eventually your body gets so good at cheating that you're now like you're you've like been hardwired differently now, right? The wiring's changed. And so you get injured. Mm -hmm. Not only do you have to deal with the broken tissue, now you gotta deal with the wiring. I gotta rewire the body. And that is like that's the long work. That's the stuff that takes forever. Right. Right? Because now you're trying to unprogram stuff that your body has programmed over a course of time you know so that's kind of what you know we're trying to do with future proofing is like to prevent this whole entire process from happening you know start with things right where it is right now and 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 then prevent having to you know untangle all the crisscross wires yeah um, you know so generally something you said before it just piqued my interest like we live in Vancouver. It's a very active city. People are running, cycling, hiking. It's year-round kind of like athletic pursuits, mm -hmm. yoga, work. There's a million and one amazing gyms just right in this neighborhood too, right? People are, are moving lots. Do you think generally in today's world, people are moving well? Ooh, that's such a great question because it's like, yeah, people move lots, but do people move well? I would say no. Right. Right? Like, you think about, um, I'm actually a decent example because I was never a specialist in any sport. I was never, like, I played a lot of sports as a kid growing up, but it was just random. It was like playground stuff, you know? 
I wasn't in any special programs. It wasn't that I was part of any academies. You see the kids nowadays, like my, my son plays basketball. He's part of an academy. Um, um, he thinks he's better than Michael Jordan. Uh, but <laughs> we've had a lot of conversations about it. Um, but he spends so much time like, like specializing in this sport that he's starting to lose a lot of the baseline mobility that a 12-year-old should have. Right, interesting. Right? Because you're like, they're, they're, he's playing basketball. He's in the same like triple threat position, defensive stance, on his toes, slightly bent in a squat. He never gets into a deep squat, right? So that's cool if life never takes him to a deep squat. But if life eventually takes him there, he starts to look funny. And so you see that recipe time and time again because society is all about like putting our kids in specialized programs and getting them to be like elite at some point because they're all going to get scholarships. They're all going to be to the big show. And they just develop these like weird movement patterns because they're now efficient at that one activity. They become greyhounds. Right. Right. But they're not like a pit bull that could move all over the place and do all sorts of things. They're just like, now they're just dialed in for this one movement, one activity. And that's it. So like to your question, do people move well? I don't, I think they actually move worse. Right. Yeah. Because of specialization. Yeah, specialization. I mean, there's lots of studies and conversation about how like we're more sedentary than ever with, you know, all of the access to, you know, especially in environments like this, trails, gyms, yoga studios, right? Online, like on demand, you can queue it up and do a yoga practice basically wherever you are if you have a smartphone. But like we're also way more sedentary and then we probably like we bust out of it and want to move, you know, as much as we can in the time that we're allotted and maybe we don't take into account like how like how should I be moving like what is best for me what are the things that I need to like understand before engaging in my sport that are like the limiting factors or how have I like wired myself in a way that's going to actually come back to like cause injury over time yeah yeah I mean we develop all these cobwebs especially in the places and in the the ranges or the spectrums that we don't move so if I never have to twist my body a certain way in like, you know, on my, my computer, on my desk, and then I go traveling and I have to go like reach over this passenger to get my luggage in the cabin, and I twist this funny way, the, you know, that's where people get hurt. They're just like, I haven't been exposed to this place before or in a long time. Right. Right. But yeah, it's, it's hilarious because we can't undo the work in like 30 minutes of activity, a 30 minute run. It's not going to undo the work of like sitting all day in a chair so what one kind of um group of people that i always love to kind of study is the the blue zones of the world and and movement for them the studies the studies that have been done in the blue zones which is kind of these areas where people average age is uh centurions so an average age of a community is um these people are living over 100 years old and in good health and the movement is like the garden and they go for walks, and maybe they ride their bike to the market, right. but it's all like natural movements in nature, and kind of like how Dean, uh, what Dean mentioned, like we've like condensed, because we are so, we sit around, we're on our computers, we try to condense our movement into a 30-hour window where we move really intensely for 30 minutes, and then we sit on our ass for the rest of the day. So is there like, an optimized way that like what what would ideal movement look like for you if if we could all have freedom of movement and yeah oh man what's the prescription what's the what's checklist, the prescription? What's what's the checklist? Drew for us? well i think that everyone should be able to squat yeah fully 
full depth. Um, you know, the, the term astagrass is often often yeah. used. Um, and that squat should be a position where you could bear load, right? So a, a squat where you could, you could actually, um, you know, carry some load or have some load on your back. Um, and you'll 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 notice that you know the overhead squat, for example, is kind of one of the tests that we what's used commonly in physiotherapy as like a good movement barometer. Um, but you know, I mean, it's it's pretty challenging. It's really challenging, but you'll find that people that can't do an overhead squat properly, um, they can't hold on to that weight because they don't have the squat depth um, and, and range of motion in the hips and the ankles and the knees. So full depth squat is super important. I think you need to have, and this is actually one that's super neglected, very poorly trained, is actually rotation. Rotation in your, um, your torso, your thoracic cage, um, and control of rotation. And people think, well, when do you rotate? It's like you actually are never fully straight on, right? So you have to have control of rotation in your function, in like any kind of like dynamic sport, multi-directional sport um, or activity, playing with your kids, trying to pick them up, that kind of thing. And then the other piece would be um, overhead mobility, right? Can you can you get your arms overhead without any uh, any pinching, any any kind of pain, and and being again being able to bear load with that. In that position but if you can't do those those things well at some point in time you're gonna have a problem for mm. sure I gotta check on my squat yeah <laughs> I think I definitely have some problems with that <laughs> heels on the ground heels on heels on the ground is like yeah the apps like that I've it's funny I, I, I can squat I've worked on my squat uh, you know and and um, I remember going to a CrossFit tournament treating a friend in a squatted position for 20 minutes. So how do we lose that habit? Because in a lot of cultures, like people will sit in a squatted position and have their lunch or socialize. If we watch our kids, like my son Finn will squat, like a perfect, beautiful squat with his like butt like a centimeter from the ground and he'll play with his Lego for like an hour. Yeah. And like there's no discomfort. Yeah. But now here I am like, you know, mid mid to late 30s and I squat and my hips hurt and like, feels uncomfortable like what, what happened to me drew what happened yeah i mean going back to what we were talking about i think like we become specialists in what we do we don't we, we've developed cobwebs we develop like you know just uh, a lack of familiarity as well like some people I've, I've seen people who have also just been trained to squat a certain way right right um i have patients that you know i talked to like hey can you show me your squat and then they do the whole thing where they shuffle their feet out and then they kind of turn their toes out and then they kind of like get their knees kind of, you know, twisted out. And this is this whole production, right? That's how I squat. And then I'll, I'll ask him like, so like when you go to sit in a chair or like go to sit on the toilet, is that like what you do? Is that the, the, the pre, is that the preamble <laughs> yeah. before you go to the washroom? Is yes. like, is that what you do? You have to shuffle your feet out every time, turn your feet out. And then, and you know, then they think, oh man, wow. I do squat when I have to go use the toilet, but I don't have to think of it that way. And so training and your preconceived notions of what the movement should look like and what right. people teach you. You know, 20 years ago, people said you needed to have a vertical shin when you squatted, right? And that's why nobody ever, they always thought that if you brought your knees forward when you squatted, that was like the recipe for disaster, mm. right? And then fast forward to now, you know, you look at um, Olympic lifters and, and, you know, these guys that are carrying like 500 pounds overhead, like their squats are like, you know, their knees are way forward. They got tons of ankle range of motion. They can they can get their knees way past their feet, um, and it's not vertical shin. 
but a lot of like the powerlifting, you know, and, and strength conditioning community from 20 years ago said otherwise. And so now you've got this whole cohort of people that squat like that. And it's only because they've been trained that way. Mm. It's funny, this is kind of like a rudimentary example, but I remember traveling through parts of Asia and South Asia and there's no toilets. So like you got to squat, right? Squatty potty. And I remember like after like three or four months of like being in, in cultures and communities where you had to squat to use the washroom, like I was like, oh, I can squat now. My legs feel strong. Like my bowel movements are like quicker and healthier, mm-hmm. like because you're not sitting in a, in a way that's kind of like blocking your intestines. Um, so just like I kind of joked about sitting on a toilet, but I think like even that creates an uh, like a unhealthy habit in a way in relying on sitting to instead of being in a squat position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my, my pelvic health colleagues will tell you that the squat is like probably the ideal position and there are a number of different benefits that it provides from a physiological and like almost mechanical standpoint for things like bowel movement and just like health in that area in general so there we go poop talk right gotta gotta talk about the poop well we were here before the toilets were so it's like yeah if you just rewind to the mechanics it's like oh yeah we we weren't made for those like those were made for us but yeah yeah Yeah. there we go there we go physio talk toilets right Okay, so if we're trying to optimize our bodies, which, you know, for me, my goal is like longevity. I want to be healthy for a long time and be able to do, you know, athletic pursuits well into my 80s or 90s or 100s, you know. So if that's my goal, um, one, I should probably see you more, but um, like what is, what is like a recipe that you would prescribe, like stretching, strength training, aerobic versus anaerobic, yoga, like what is kind of like, if I'm wanting to be a healthy, active person that's able to comfortably move my body um, in, you know, an athletic direction, uh, what kind of steps do I need to take to be able to do this when I'm a little older? Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, the it always depends on what activity is and what it is that you want right. to continue doing right. right into your 80s what's the goal right what's the goal and that's that's key um you should know what you need to be prepared to do a lot of so if it's running you know you're going to be doing a lot of like stepping jumping um movement in that forward direction and then you need to know what it is you don't do and what you need to make up for right so it's like i don't twist my body a whole lot i don't have to move side to side a whole lot when i'm running forwards so those muscles aren't getting any input those structures are not getting input i'm losing the familiarity of using these muscles Mm -hmm. so you cyclists are the best example if you're like a cyclist right you've got this rigid frame in between your legs and you never have to use the muscles that you would use to stabilize you from side to side right so when we work with cyclists and you try to challenge them in that plane kind of the lateral motion they have no strength it's like they buck they're like they buckle down and it's like surprising because you'll see their quads are huge their their you know their butts are huge they got like huge lower extremity muscles but they've not done any side to side work so you want to be a better cyclist actually work on your side to side stability right you want to be a better runner work on some of that rotational stuff you know, and, and that's kind of like the recipe of like 
yes, you need to do more running. Yes, you need to incrementally increase the volume. And you need to strengthen those muscles, but you also have to know your blind side, blind spot, sorry, and mm. like training those blind spots. Yeah. The holistic, the holistic approach. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't ignore because th those muscles have a role. Um, and variability is kind of like the best way to prepare yourself for the future because you just don't know where you're going to go. Right. Right. Yeah. So do you want like to strive to be more of a generalist and have diversity in movement versus just being that specialist that you mentioned that kind of gets stuck in one modality? I 100% believe that, you know, being a generalist and that diversity in movement is a great way to coin it. Um, you know, they even say that a lot of athletes, the most successful athletes are multi-sport athletes, right? People that play a lot of different things and they just expose themselves to a lot of different um, stresses. And that's the only way that you can really be prepared for what's going to you know what you're going to encounter in the future right and at some point in time you're going to have to adapt like if you're just running on the road and you decide you want to run on the trail it's like oh that is going to be a problem right and that's i mean the, the the other point to it is like have you exposed yourself gradually to what it is that you're going to be doing you know too much too soon is absolutely the key to injury mm -hmm. yeah yeah, which feels like our culture, right? Like obsessed with one thing. Yeah. Well, I want to go do this. So now I'm like all in on it. And then bam, your body wasn't ready for that. And so injury comes. And then it often can be the thing that takes people out of sport or activity movement, which then can like create a whole nother set of problems for them right down the line. Oh. Yeah. It's like somebody will be doing bench press all day because they're like oh or like there's a push-up program or like push-up challenge like the push-up challenge is my favorite right yeah it's like okay i'm gonna do the push-up challenge you've been doing push-up challenge for like three months and then you know they went to the park and they were just throwing the ball and then all of a sudden they felt a tweak well would they have tweaked themselves doing the push-ups probably not because they've been doing that they're just like, you know it's ramping up they're adapting to the push-up but they're losing adaptability in other things so they go expose themselves to something they haven't done in a while and then that's where they get hurt right Right, so it's like again specializing in something just almost takes you away from. I mean, we see this in entrepreneurship too, right? We see this in business. It's like becoming a specialist does close it closes doors in terms of being able to do other things. That, that doesn't mean that like being the greatest basketball player of all time, like that has its rewards itself. But that person's probably not going to start doing CrossFit at fifty years old. And just be like, oh yeah, like this is great. Like, like I, I don't have any problems. They probably got a lot of war stories. Yeah, right. yeah. I like that. There's, I mean, I, when you're saying the specialist thing, like it makes me think, like, you know, in business and life and, and movement, our ability to pivot. Like, if we're not able to to change course, you know, we can get stuck and and get our places ourselves into a situation that we might not want to be like uh, you think about like the typewriter like they were a specialist of like a typewriter and they weren't able to be flexible and you know now their industry's gone or mm -hmm. you know there's like a million examples like that and if we kind of apply that to our body like I, I, I found that like I was so focused on running and cycling that I wasn't doing anything else and it wasn't until recently that I've been injured that we started like rowing and doing some weights and doing some other stuff I'm like wow, the rest of my body feels so good. Like, mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes when we have these injuries or these setbacks in business, it kind of gives us opportunity to try new things. And 
and hopefully, you know, evolve our, our experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of getting into that evolution of, of diversifying, like I hear different things, like how, how important is, is stretching for our, our longevity, for our, our everyday wellness? It's interesting because I think there was a, a time where stretching was overemphasized, right? And yeah. it's like, you know, stretching is the, you need to stretch so that you can be flexible and flexibility is going to prevent you from getting injured. And it's not necessarily the case, right? Yeah. Like I think... Um, you need to actively stretch your body. You need to um, continue to push your body and st- stretch your body beyond the ranges that it's normally subjected to. And if you can do that, then you're going to you know, be better off. But passive stretching, having someone just like hold on to your, your, your leg and try to get your, your foot over your, your shoulder or something like that, you know, I think that 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 era has passed so yeah the the assisted stretch like on the side of the track before right where someone's wrenching oh. your hamstring over and you're like yeah no, a little more yeah I can yeah. Really feel it. yeah no i think the best way to move like, the best way to stretch is actually to move right and to move it and maybe it's assisted movement yeah. but that's a different story right um and and sometimes assisted with like you know, activating different um, different muscles and different nerves and, and, and all that sort of thing, that can help provide the input to get you access to different ranges and then allow you to then train in those new ranges, mm. right? So what does ideal recovery look like then? Because, like, we, I, we do have this old paradigm, like, go home, stretch, touch your toes. If you can't touch your toes, like, you're in trouble. Like, is it going for a walk? Is it having a bath? Is it having, like, a cold plunge? Like... Is it like doing a little spin out on the bike? Like what, what does like an ideal recovery look like if you've done something a little bit strenuous? I think if you've done something strenuous, it's, it is good to get a little bit of like uh, active recovery, right? So whether or not that's, um, you know, a, 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 you know 15, to 15 to 20 minutes of, of like very light um, cardiorespiratory, um, just active movement, get, get the tissues moving, but um, not stressing them is really important but then a lot of the recovery comes with the kind of the regimens that you take you know you know what you guys are talking about like things like nutrition sleep you know maybe that glass of red wine you know i i I think that a lot of that stuff plays a larger part in recovery than we used to give it credit for Mm. right and you know it was just like oh we need to do all these like fancy things ice baths and you know um you know lymphatic drainage massage or you know like all, all these different tools and i think all of that stuff you know is fractional in terms of its its help but the other things like getting enough rest the quality of your sleep and i remember um um alex was telling me this about you know oh gosh like 13 years ago uh, when he was working with the the raptors that they were looking at their sleep and recovery quality um, which a lot of us now are, you know, everyone's using the whoop straps now and, and, and aura rings and you see a lot of the guys in the NBA using that stuff. And, and at the end of the day, it's like what was more predictive of what, how they would do or potentially like, you know, the, their training, their performance or injury was like how well did they recover the night before with their sleep. Yeah. So sleep is becoming a huge conversation in the recovery space. Yeah. Do you get into it? I know it's not necessarily like the realm of physio for sure, but like HRV and stuff, like measuring that, is that something you do personally? Would you recommend that with for if you were like setting someone up in terms of like future-proofing themselves? I think anything that will help get you into better habits 
as a whole and understanding your body is, I think, good. Yeah. I, I, I did for a good period of time, uh, you know, monitor my, you know, my, um, uh, what's it called? The Sorry, heart rate. The, yeah, 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 my HRV. Um, and, um, and it was great. It was great to understand, like, did I recover? Should I train really hard today? Or should yeah. I, should I, you know, pump the brakes a little bit and take it easier? Um, so it's, it's something that is, I think we're getting, there's a lot of research coming out on it and it's becoming a lot more commonplace. Yeah. Right. And, and a lot of things affect HRV, not just activity or, you know, sleep. There's, you know, there's nutrition components to mm-hmm. it. Are you getting the right, you know, um, there's a hormonal component to it. There's just, there's a lot. Right. So do you think analytics can like mess with intuition in a way? Like if your whoop tells you you're tired, but you feel good, it might like have a bit of like a placebo effect onto your performance i mean i i think so i think the thing with data and this is what we see a lot in just in life right business everything is that data without actionables is useless right (laughs) data without actionables is completely useless so it's like you could have all the data in the world about what's going on your body but you have no idea what to do about it then it's like what's the point yeah so there's that right and then on the intuition piece i think that there's a lot that that data doesn't also measure right and um if hrv was as predictive as we think it is then it should tell you when you're gonna have your pbs right like i'm a track athlete it's like oh man my hrv says i'm recovered 100 then i will have the best run of my life i should be hitting pbs all day and we know it's more multifactorial than that it's there's a lot of pieces to it yeah you know yeah 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 huh. uh so we talked a little bit about like touched on the idea of like environment the environment that we're raised in and like how that can shape us do you see like um are there almost like predictive ways if you like have someone come in and you know maybe before you fully assess them or know based on like how they uh spend their day like what their job is or even like oh my back lower back pain like coming to see you like are there sort of predictive ways that you could say this is like a lifestyle injury or a lifestyle you know discomfort that you have uh, that's like pretty common yeah i mean like one of the things and one of my mentors said this to me is like if you listen to someone long enough you'll understand what the problem is right if you listen to them even longer they'll actually tell you how to fix it. Oh, interesting. Right? So what that highlights is like the importance of the person's history, right? Like every single like bit of history from the injury that they had when they were a little kid to what they do for, for, for work, what they did for work before their new career, all of that stuff plays into like how did they learn how to compensate for that job and how did they learn how to compensate after that injury and what you get from that history is kind of like the person before you and like that gives you a very good idea of what the injury probably is and then the more you hear about it you're like oh so every time i do this and every then you're like okay cool then i need to fix i need to address the fact that every time you go to twist to the left with your golf swing it hurts i need to fix that component of your life and the pieces around that um but i haven't even laid a hand on you yet right you know so if someone comes in and they've had an injury that they say say they broke their leg when they were seven or or something like that and now they've adapted to having a weaker left leg than a right leg and they've like learned to be a runner and a basketball player and all of their movement revolves around that adaptability 
is it more important to like rewire and relearn or learn to adapt properly to that kind of compensation? Yeah, that's, again, that's really interesting because I think uh, superficially it's kind of like here is what perfect is. Yes. This is the perfect body. This is the perfect posture. This is the perfect movement. Let's work towards that, that archetype. Right. But you look at a soccer player and they're right-footed. Their right foot's always going to be turned out no matter what. So what are you going to do? They play soccer still, right? Now you're like, okay, I'm going to like work on getting your foot straight. Well, that's probably not setting them up for life, for their activity. And so we have these like we have this like perfect archetype in our head of what things should be, but at the end of the day, no stress is symmetrical. No activity is perfectly symmetrical, and so we're always gonna adapt to that a certain way. And there's even arguments to the fact that like our bodies, like we're not symmetrical beings, right? right. You know, we have a liver here. We have like you know di- you know different lobes on the line. There's, and I'm not saying that like that's what I base my thought process on, but I mean those are facts, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, yeah, we, we, I don't think I, that used to be a thought process that used to be a paradigm where it was like, you have to be perfectly symmetrical in everything you do. But I think now people are understanding it's the goals and the activities that are actually more important on how to work with an individual. Right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The physio, like understanding the physiology to get to that point and then looking at like the needs of the person. To say, okay, yes, like symmetrical might be ideal in this mm-hmm. like kind of uh, not imaginary world, but you know, whatever imagined reality. Mm-hmm. But like, what's ideal for you is actually best performance given your sport and injury prevention and making sure to set you up. So we're actually going to deviate from like what would be perceived as like the perfect form or whatever mm-hmm. to meet your needs where you're at. It's really crazy. I, saw, I went and took this course, and it was a running course. And at the time, barefoot running was like just coming. It was around the Born to Run era. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, 2011, black. 2012. It was hilarious because uh, the, the, the instructor um, put up a video of this guy who I think was at, at the time ranked as maybe the top three runners in, in the world. And he ran with his arm and looked like he was like, it, it was not like a symmetrical arm swing, right? The, the right arm was crossing midline way over. It was like, it looked like he was carrying something, right? And it turns out this person's story was that they ran to school 10 miles or something like that every day carrying books. So now this person runs like they're carrying books. (laughs) You're not gonna change that. And in fact, this guy's like number three in the world or something like that, running with books in his hand, like imaginary books in their hand. it works for that person, right? right? So, um, you know, if it was like a different activity other than running that he hadn't adapted for like that, then yeah, maybe. But right. yeah, it's like, that was crazy. I was wild looking at that video. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you've touched on it before, but I think it's worthy of like noting is like how adaptable we are like in our physiology to like, you know, uh, what do you call like the cheat code or whatever, like your body will figure out a way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that serves us and other times it serves us temporarily, but then we have like a long-term effect of like not using your glutes while you run and then having all of these other pains that happen as a result. But it's incredible, like the adaptability of our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And so does that go like both ways? I mean, not without effort, but does it go both ways in terms of like re-adapting to like, a better form of movement for ourselves? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They say it takes like 10,000 reps. I mean, this is the magic number, but you know, 10,000 reps to master a skill. Like you, you look at um, the shot work that players, you know, you're, you're a basketball player, you used to have a shot, then they put you in a different role, different capacity, you kind of lose your shot, then you got to work on that again, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, if you're a musician, Dean, um, you know, you get calluses when you start playing, you stop playing, those calluses go away pretty quick. That's right. Right? So, um, yeah, I definitely have no calluses. I was going to say, my hands are pretty soft. They're, they're pretty days. smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so adaptability is what makes us special as a species, though, because yeah. I think we're the best at doing that. Right. Right? Whether it's internal adaptation or external adaptation. Like, that's one of the things that one of my favorite authors right now is. Um, is uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb? We've you know we chatted about this on our runs, and you know just like things like, like um, you know I think it might have been the Romans or the Greeks that there was this, this process called like a iatrogenes where you're just basically um, and I, I could be wrong on that, but there's this process where you would subject yourself to small amounts of poison to then build resilience to that poison, and that was what a lot of like the politicians would do, and it would be like you know to combat threats of assassination like what like you know it's, it's crazy yeah it's crazy you know we are adaptable creatures it's pretty sick yeah definitely it's wild okay i'm happy we're not doing we're having like a ginger ginger lemon cayenne shots instead of uh you know small small it's micro dosing poison <laughs> that's right <laughs> micro dosing mushrooms and other things instead of poison now <laughs> okay, so I want to get into running, but like uh, just kind of staying on the train of optimizing our bodies. Um, one thing that I've been guilty of neglecting in, in running and cycling is, is strength training. Mm. How, how important is that for long-term movement and, and well-being? Personally, um, and I think you know the research is um, you know supportive in this as well. Is that strength training is one of the most important things that you could be doing for longevity, right? So. Um, Strength training, um, you know, from a functional standpoint, as opposed to like, you know, uh, going in and doing bicep curls and just, you know, but having said that, you know, th that stuff still has its benefits as well. So um, strength training is huge. And, um, you know, the more we can expose, your, you can expose yourself to varied stress and like, you know, under load, the, your body is going to adapt in, in probably the most beneficial way. It's good for the muscles, it's good for the bones, it's good for, um, the, you know, just the neurological system. There's just a lot of really, really good benefits to it that you might not otherwise achieve via just, you know, going for a run or going for a bike ride. Mm -hmm. And what kind of, like, what are the basic strength training movements or exercises that we should be doing to kind of build this base. Yeah, Zach's been sticking mostly to the bicep curls. <laughs> Just <laughs> superficial yeah. goals only. You know? They're popping out of his arteric yeah. Oof, um, <laughs> I You noticed, eh? Yeah, no, yeah. It's been a while, I can see. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, I, was, I was a big CrossFitter for a while, and I, I would say that CrossFit... I actually really, really enjoyed it. It got a lot of, it's gotten a lot of flack. And I think, you know, it, it does have its detriments as well. But I think some of the baseline um, lifts that they, um, that they preach really are, are, I think, good fundamental principles. Mm -hmm. You know, being able to do a squat, being able to do a deadlift, being able to do a, an overhead press or, a, you know, um, a press. I think those are three fundamental movements. When I pull up, those are three fundamental movements or four fundamental movements that I think from a strength training perspective, they don't cover all your bases, 
Um, again, it's very linear. There's no rotation. There's no. There's none of that. But it's not bad. It's yeah. it's not bad. It's you know they like to use the term and a lot of strength conditioning as well. Like to use the term general physical preparedness or GPP. And I think that's just like a really cool, solid principle to anchor on as we all age and grow. It's like, what's our general physical preparedness? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I also like, like the term, I think it was thrown around with CrossFit a lot, like that, that idea of like functional movement. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're doing movements in the gym that like, sure, you might not like pick up these weights and lift them above your head, but you might find yourself in a situation where you like, you need to access that movement and have that strength. And so it's like, transferable from like you're not just doing this to create a physique that like looks nice you know on the beach but like functional movement like you're training your body to function as a body Mm -hmm. like yeah like the the term in you know the rehab community would be like again like said transferability or specificity to task right okay right and like that's actually key that's absolutely key. Like doing something that has no transferability whatsoever to whatever it is that you're going to be doing, that strength training is useless. Right. Right. So that's why functional movement or a lot of the training that you'll see will be um, mimicking the demands of that activity. I do this example a lot. If you've sprained your ankle playing basketball or volleyball, a lot of the times you'll think, okay, well, you know, I got to train my ankle up again, right? I got to do balance work. So, you know, you see guys in the clinics or in the gym, they're doing balance work and they got, they're in the mirror, they're staring straight ahead. They're just like intently gazing on themselves as they're doing like some sort of like wobble board, balance board thing. How, like what position was your head when you went to go and grab the rebound? Yeah, you're looking up. You're looking up, yeah. right? What position was your, your head when you're trying to block that shot, right? You're looking up, right? So like when you, look up and do those balance activities, it changes the difficulty of that task incredibly. And it actually changes your your positioning of yourself in space. Yeah. And that actually is better training because it has transferability and specificity to like the position. Like when you go and get that rebound again, if you don't train that way, you're gonna sprain your ankle again, right? Because when you turn your head up, your ankle is in a different position than you think it is. Yeah. Right? So that specificity that you're talking about, like that's key. Yeah. It's absolutely key. Yeah. Well, that's so good. I think kind of touching on that too, like having young kids, I've seen a lot of like dad and mom friends like, oh, like I've pulled my back, I've pulled my neck because they're chasing a little kid around and like that's putting them in all sorts of like new movement patterns that they haven't done for, you know, 20 plus years where they're reaching and chasing and all sorts of things. So it just kind of speaks to that diversity of movement that you're you're touching on. Yeah, I think that competitive, like there's a competitive edge in me that, I think this will keep me moving well for a long time. So I just want to be able to beat my kids at whatever it is that they do for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, right? right? You know, my son's 12 years old. It's like, I need to be able to beat this kid at basketball for at least, <laughs> at least another three or four years. Right? I, I know at some point he's going to surpass me, but like, uh, it's going to be hard day. I've got this infamous Uncle Ron that I've spoken to, both of you about that, you know, hit his PB marathon time at 52 years old and me and his son Luke we were like both competitive basketball players like whatever we did as a family we were competitive like it was like fierce like badminton ping pong whatever <laughs> like we were going for each other's heads you know and Uncle Ron he could beat us until like he's like mid 70s now I'd say like into his like mid 60s we could never beat him it was just like eventually he got old enough that like we were able to catch up but it was like into his mid-60s. We couldn't beat him at basketball, 
couldn't beat him at badminton. We couldn't beat him at ping pong. So Uncle, Ron, yeah. Uncle the Ron's the goal. That is Uncle the Ron's ultimate the goal. goal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know what took him down? Some some physio told him to change his running habit after you know he's like sixty five years old and told him to start running with his heel first instead of his toes first. So he tried to change things up, messed up his knee, messed everything up, and you know, kind of was hard to come back from. Oh, you hate to hear it. Yeah, you hate to hear it. You know why? You know it, it works. You know, yeah, why mess with it. Yeah, you know? yeah. But oh. maybe, but maybe we can segue. We all love running here. Um, you know, born to run. We go for runs and we chat about the book. There's a big movement. Um, one of the things that kind of like blew my mind was like we get these fancy shoes, two hundred dollars shoes, um, and you know our injuries aren't any less than uh, from those from that have cultures that like grow up running barefoot. The barefoot cultures actually would have less injuries. So it's like, is barefoot running better for us? Are the support from shoes best? Um, and then we kind of talked about if you tried barefoot running, we haven't developed those muscles because we've been having these kind of support of shoes for so long that we'd probably mess ourselves up. Um, so what do you think about that whole barefoot kind of craze? Oh, man. Other, that was... other than the shoes being extremely unfashionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like a good way to remain single. If yeah. you... <laughs> um, but um, I think that... The barefoot craze, like, yeah, it took the world by storm, like, you know, in the 2010s. Um, and I think a lot of research gone into it. Um, and from a principle standpoint, a lot of it makes sense as far as, like, it does, there's a lot of benefits. You know, it, it naturally increases your cadence. It decreases the, you know, some of the vertical displacement. And it decreases, you know, just the, the amount of bouncing. You know, you're, you're running lighter on your feet. You're running quieter. But... None of us in this world, like in this like developed world, really have we we've lost that kind of adaptation because we've been in shoes since baby, like since we were babies. Yeah. So um, it's it's from a theoretical standpoint, I see some of the, I see some of the merits. And to be honest, after I took the barefoot running course that I did take, I had knee pain all the time running, and I bought these. Um, minimalist running shoes went for a run and I had zero knee pain for the first time for 30 minutes I was so excited I ran super hard for 30 minutes I couldn't walk the next day my calves were so sore um, but the research started to show that it's not so much like the actual like the shoe the running shoe and the barefoot style of shoe that really is um, preventative of injuries you know there was a lot of people that they, they did some studies with bare, uh, with minimalist style shoes and there was an increased incidence of injuries because of those things that we we're just talking about but what they're finding is that it's actually the amount of braking force that you have when you run that's more predictive. Uh, I took a course just recently by Lindsay Scott down in Toronto, and, and she highlighted that, yeah, you know, a lot of the things that we used to think about fixing running, not necessarily the, the, the keys now. It's more just like how hard are you like braking on your, on your feet when you run um, versus things like running on your toes or... Are you wearing the right shoes? Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It all changed since I took that run assessment and got the right shoes at my OD talks. Well, <clears throat> funny enough, there's some components to the shoes that, like, you know, can help you with your performance. And those those shoes that the Nike put out, the 4%, those are legit. Like, they actually did improve people's running efficiency by 
And when you translate those numbers, it's like, you know, 4% efficiency over the course of, you know, 26 miles. That is what can make or break whether or not you're, you know, top place or elite in your, in your class or whatnot. So the technology that that's coming out there, you can't say, you can't completely be dismissive of it, right? But it's actually the culture. It's actually the sales culture of shoes and trying to over-diagnose, over-prescribe people with these shoes and just like call people out. And I, again, I, we talked about this before. I feel like the shoe system, it's like such an intelligent product. You see all the R&D that goes in and it's such an unintelligent process. So yeah, I think that you know the success that we had when we did our running assessment together was a combination of like understanding like what are you doing in your run and are your shoes helping facilitate what you're trying to do um, as opposed to these shoes are magical. They're going to fix every single problem you have. Right. Right. Because like the best shoe on the market might actually be one of the worst shoes for you as a runner. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You could be like you're, the way that you run, your style of running, the terrain that you run on. You could be fit. You, you're probably best wearing the, the shoe from maybe Walmart than you are to wear like the Vaporfly 4% or yeah. whatever it is, you know. Um, Cause I used to, used to just buy whatever shoe I thought like looked the nicest, like super super shallow. I was like, I like the colors. This goes with my clothes. Yeah. I'm gonna get that shoe. But I was, uh, you know, fashion over function. I need to flip that. That's right. I, I don't think you should lose the fashion thing completely. Though. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Keep a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So with the running, like how important is like a, a warm up and a cool down to being able to sustain lo- running for a long time? I get yeah, was super important. You can't. Like the warm up, especially, it's you know going out cold is probably not a good idea. Um, the warm up is, is is really important, and um, I think that I'm actually guilty of this because I, I love to I love to run, and when I go for for my runs, I don't like really ease into it. I go like right at the pace that I want to hit, like almost right away. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I've tweaked myself a few times <laughs> doing that. So, um, so does like a warm up look like a, a, like a slow jog or is it like doing some like rapid stretching or like what does, what does a warm up ideally look like for, I, for those that like yourself just go full steam out at the start? Your 4.15 pace. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's know. Drew's recovery day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I'm usually on a scooter on those days. <laughs> um, I, you know, when it comes to a warm up, it's like the, the principles of like, are you comfortable in the range that you need to be in, right? So with running, it's kind of like you know your knees are getting up to as maybe as high as your hips, as like the very very highest. So you know, but you remember like the leg swings where people are like swinging their leg like crazy. It's like you don't really do that when you run. So like you don't have to overstretch hmm. so it's like warm up in 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 within the range of what your body's going to be going to and then um warming up some of the muscles is is good but i don't think it, you need to overemphasize it like you don't need to do like 50 single leg calf raises before you go out for your run right i think that um doing a little bit of a uh, a little bit of work to just prime some of the muscles maybe do a couple walking lunges a couple of standing um rdls um single leg rdls um, and then just going out on a light jog, you know, and, and keeping the pace easy and then go for it. Like I, again, I'm, I need to practice what I preach yeah, here. You know? yeah. uh, when we go running, it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm playing catch up to you guys. We just sprint for 10 K, right? Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's important. It's important to, to take care of the protect your investment, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, otherwise we're just wearing really cool clothes, uh, cool satisfy uh, outfits, but we're <laughs> just kind of lounging, you know. <laughs> Which is again, it's still not a bad look. No, you know, take a look. It's true. It's true. Um, okay, one thing. I know we got to wrap in a few minutes here, but uh, one thing that we all love is like the headspace of running. Yeah, how it unlocks so much possibility. Um, can you kind of speak to the creativity that uh, running kind of affords you? Yeah, I mean, it's actually really cool because we we kind of experience it when we go on our runs and we have our conversations. But I feel that I was thinking about this the other day, and I was going for a run, and and you know, as you guys know, I. My, my work life is pretty crazy at Mayo. There's a lot of travel, you know, dealing with a lot of different things at the same time. It's, you know, the, the times in the clinic where I was just working with my patients, uh, that, that, it's evolved, it's, it's, it's changed. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on and, you know, it's hard to get that time. And even when you read or like you're out just like thinking about like meditating, I was like, you know, I had a hot tub in Whistler last weekend. I, I, my brain didn't get to where it needed to go to like work on some stuff and to think things create think things through creatively. When I'm on the treadmill and I'm not listening to music and I'm just running or if I'm outside and I'm going for a run for like at least at least half an hour it it just unlocks something. Like something in your brain almost just starts to open up and you start to think creatively about your next project, about how to fix this problem, about the next conversation you need to have with somebody, you know? And it's actually crazy because I just think, man, I wish there was a way to just record everything that I'm thinking when I'm running. Yeah. So that's like gems like all day. Yeah. Right. And we were talking about this with the Born to Run. It's like those guys are like running for days, but they have to like problem solve and strategize while chasing down a prey. It's like to tell me that running doesn't somehow unlock your creative thinking and strategic thinking i don't know yeah it's like it's like baked into the physiology of it there's the movement but then there's that like mental component exactly i i think for sure there's got to be like a study somewhere don't you think like someone's looked at that like i really feel i should be able to give you guys some insight on this but I no, but you know so going back to nasim taleb right his favorite activity is just to go on long, long walks, and he will just walk for hours, right? And I think it's you know the same locomotive kind of hardwiring. It's like something's happening, right? And the guy's a philosopher, he's just like really like going on a long walk. You know, you get the best conversations. Yeah, right? yeah. Something is unlocked with running. Totally. Well, even taking it back, like you talked about, like the <laughs> in terms of like uh, getting immune to poisons, right? Like in the Greek and Roman culture, like they had this kind of like peripatetic. Uh, teaching where there was no classrooms it was like all of it was done like walking and talking and it was demonstrative like they could show what they were teaching as they were going but everyone kind of like walked as a crew and that's where like teaching and learning took place because maybe again they kind of like had that intuitive knowledge like yeah sitting is good for some things but like we need to be like moving because it unlocks that creative potential imagine if english like i mean i don't know how you do with math I don't know how you do with certain subjects, but imagine like an English prof walking around with a mic and everyone's got AirPods on, you know, and they're just listening to the lecture while they're walking, right? It'd be so interesting to see if they could like 
capture retention and or learning outcomes. Yeah. Well, even if I'm listening to a podcast, if I'm listening to it while I'm going for a run versus going for a drive in my car versus cleaning the house, I retain the most for sure when I'm running or going for a walk. Yeah. There's like a different sense of presence, um, less distraction that I'm able to like retain a lot more than in doing other activities. Yeah. I don't know if it's true for you guys too, but like I've had moments where, you know, some sometimes you have that brilliant thing out on the run or whatever, and it's like tied to the physical place that you're at. So you're like, oh, I remember I was like at this point along like the trail when I had that thought. And then so now it's like, it's easier to remember because it's associated with where you were on the run. Right. 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 Or, or just knowing that like, this run is like so like where we are like it's the south dyke trail which you and nick did that epic run down but it's just like a long flat straight stretch that would for some maybe seem like really just uninspiring but it's in that that it's like often the most uh inspiring conversations that like zach and i've had or just thought patterns for myself if it's a solo run happen along there because you Mm. just can kind of get in the zone right yeah yeah and that's for me, actually, what I love, a lot of people, I, I don't like trail running. It's not my thing. Part of it is because I have to be engaged in my surroundings mm-hmm. because I don't want to hurt myself. But, like, when I'm running on the road, when I'm running on, even like, I mean, honestly, I, I hate to say it, but on a treadmill, right? Because I don't have to think about that, it affords me the ability to start thinking about other things. So yeah, and it just, I've had some of the craziest business, like, you know, epiphanies, um, you know, um, life epiphanies just while while running. And as we're talking about this, I actually know the corner, corner that I'm turning. When I used to run um, in North Van, there was this, this this little corner. I would turn and like a, a lot of different things would happen just on that yeah. on that route. Yeah. Right? Whether there's like a magic distance that you hit and it's like that's the spot that it yeah. kind of like somewhere there it starts to unlock or whatever. It's just, I don't know. It's magic though. Yeah. There's, there's lots of other kind of future-proofing questions I have, but I know uh, we got to wrap things up. So I thought maybe we could do a couple random fire questions and then we'll let you go on your day. We like to wrap things up with some randomness. Okay, I got a few. Okay, you got some? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, I know you're an anime guy. Yes. Best, best, best anime. Oh, I got to go. You can name a few if you want. Okay, um, okay the classics, uh, Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Right? I That's... That's like an origin story for me with anime. Um, and then I love Naruto. Yeah. Um, and I would say that Hunter x Hunter is kind of the new the new one. But all time right now, if you had, if I had to pick all time favorite, was Naruto. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Kobe or LeBron? Ooh, because I'm a Jordan fan. And Jordan's protege was Kobe. I would pick Kobe, but oh man, that's a hard one. Yeah, I go with Kobe too. He's got the mam- the, the, the Mamba factor. It's true. It's true. I, uh, team Kobe. Team Kobe. Team Kobe. No, no shade. No shade to LeBron. Yeah, he's but amazing. like in terms of just you know, and they both do great things or have done great things. But like that's the the reality for me is Kobe's just he's just got that edge, the X factor. Yeah, LeBron like accomplishments wise and, and all that like I mean if you're like doing a stat sheet or, or you know paper analysis uh, yeah LeBron wins but some of the intangibles and, and some of like yeah and Kobe after basketball was actually really inspiring too yes so yeah R.I.P. 
Yeah, hundred so percent. Um, current album you're you're really digging. There's been some new releases. Ooh. I don't know, or is it old? What's 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 your Spotify go to? So actually, it's a throwback because of the Netflix documentary on Kanye. Oh, okay. Right. So I've been listening to the OG Kanye. You like that old Kanye? Yeah, the old, old <laughs> Kanye. That's Miss like, the old Kanye. So good to run to, old Kanye. Oh, like my, the, yeah, that, yeah. That workout song, I forget what it's called. I heard this, I heard somebody might have told you, might be one of you guys actually that told me that um, people who run to Kanye actually run faster than people who run to Drake. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Beats per minute, beats per minute. Yeah, it's all so, about the BPM. All about that BPM. Yeah, so the old Kanye from, yeah, from that era, from, from that genius documentary. Yeah. Um, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I, okay. love, I love when a show turns you on to like tunes or puts you back to tunes. Yeah. That block party with Dave Chappelle, that got me into like so much music at the time, oh, like yeah. most Def to oh, quality. Yeah. Like it like kind of changed the hip hop that I was listening to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just recently, like Ozarks, that show, the, the Ozarks, yeah. they had an episode where they like, it was the entire episode was scored by Nas's Illmatic. Oh, and no. I was like, oh my God, this album. Like I totally yeah. forgot about it. And now I've just been listening to it so much. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay, this is a new question that uh, I've been think I've been starting to ask people this. Um, so you're you're an entrepreneur, you're a creative guy, you're a solutions guy, you're a visionary. So I've been asking people like, what's what's the end game? Like, what's retirement look for look like for you? Like, what do you want? Like, we all set goals for our businesses, for our movement, but like at the end of the day, like, what are you working towards? Like, what do you want your life to look like when you're starting to settle into whatever you want to settle into is it a coffee shop is it a a basketball court is it like living on the ocean in a cabin like what's kind of that like when you think about putting your feet up what does that look like oh man that is such a crazy question um it's funny because somebody asked me this actually yesterday. Whoa. okay yeah pre-pod pre-pod yeah and stretching it's funny because you know, and then I actually actually um, met up with with Nick. Uh, we're just chatting about even this the same conversation separately. So it's kind of this weird golden thread happening. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I love just I love just keeping my mind active, right? And part of that is going to be wanting to come up with creative solutions and 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 use use my brain to to problem solve. So whether or not that's actually working on a small business, you know, in retirement. Absolutely. Like, I would love to still be active. And, you know, I love hearing when people say that the more active you are into older age, the more you use your brain to problem solve, the, the, the better you are, better off you are on a number of different fronts. So I want to stay active. I don't want to just be sitting down, drinking Mai Tais with my feet up, right? I actually want to continue um, using my brain. Um, do I want to use it for eight to 12 hours a day? Probably not, you know? I think half that time would be great. I would love to continue to play video games and play uh, basketball um, with my kids, um, who will probably be better than me at those activities. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the last thing would be, um, I'll, I'll, I just have this like romantic idea of like spending time in Paris coffee shops. Yeah. So like whether or not like it's allowing me to go down there for like a couple of weeks, people watching, journal, drawing, doing a bit of art. Okay. 
Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Let's go. Yeah. I'll come hang out with you in Paris and. Oh man, let's go. Let's do some R and D real soon. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Running roots. Running roots. Running roots. Yeah. Let's go about the runs, the coffee shops. Okay, I got one last one, and then Dean, you can close it out. Sounds good. Nick Lowe, former podcast guest. That's right. Versus yourself, one-on-one basketball. Who's taking it? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think that Nick has, uh, you know, he's got a new addition to the family. Yep. So if we're talking about present day, and I don't want you to talk about the past. Let's just talk about present day. I think I had the edge because I think his general fitness has, like, suffered because of the new addition to the family. So, like, previously his vertical was deplorable, and now it's probably even worse. So I think I could take him down. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll have a differing opinion. Um, so we could, we could always settle on the corner. Well, I was going to say, meet, on, meet on the hardwood, soon. meet on the hardwood. Let's, yeah. let's make it yeah. happen. <laughs> but I hear you guys want a two-on-two. Two, uh, you know, two two. Oh, oh, let's do it, yeah. right? Let's do it. <laughs> that would be fun. Small, uh, vi- small picks yeah. versus the, That's the right. small guys. Big, big ball versus small ball, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> As long as you know a good physio, I can see after. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably I'll, I'll treat you for free so long as you guys uh, come out and play. <laughs> On court physio. Yeah. That's right. Oh, man. Drew, it's so good. There's so many more directions we go. Like we talked about with our with our runs, we kind of just jam on life and all sorts of things. And you're such a, a kind and interesting person. And we're just so grateful for your time today. Um, and we always we always kind of end the pod with this question. We want to We want to land it on the topic of, you know, what we want to leave or do in the world and and Zach and I have this pod and we call it a little more good knowing like that's what we want to be about and create and just see happen in the world but we'd love to know everyone has a different take on like what that means so so Drew what does it mean to you a little more good a little more good to me means the good that you pass on to others that they pass on to others that to me is kind of like just like the gist of life, yeah. right? So when, you know, the, the, your children that you, that, that you raise, the people that you work with, whatever it is that you can pass on to them, that is that little drop, droplet of who you are and the good that you represent, and then that's passed on to the next generation, that's what it's all about. Beautiful. I love it, man. I feel like I feel like we received some good from you today, my friend. Oh, bless you. Thank yeah. you. We'll pass it forward. We'll pass it forward. Yeah. Well, thank you, Drew, for your time, for your, your service to all of us. And yeah, grateful for the, the space that you hold. No, thank you for having me on. This is great. Way yeah. less nerve-wracking than I thought. You guys made it awesome. <laughs> right. Part two coming soon. Yeah. Thank you. All right. There we go. There you have it. I'm ready to stretch and strengthen and just consider the future proofing of this body, this temple. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. So fun to sit down and, and chat with Andrew. Uh, just talking about his path, career path, obviously, you know, peppering him with all the different questions around movement and yeah, moving for, for wellness and for longevity is just like something that we want to keep doing, something we talk about often, right? We want to be able to run work out and be fit like well into the later years of our life and trying to build those habits and patterns now but recognizing you know it's uh sometimes you need those tune-ups and also just like pre pre pre-tune-ups yes (laughs) if you're me yeah it's like with food you know we we see food as medicine Mm -hmm. but movement movement is medicine too it is so i hope you all enjoyed that one with with drew with drew andrew sabari 
uh, check him and my detox out on on Instagram. Uh, they're they're both doing amazing, inspiring things to keep us all well in this community that we share. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to, to share, like, subscribe, review all the things. You know, it helps us get the word out, and and uh, you know, every review and like kind of lets this podcast show up in in more places. So we appreciate those. Yeah. All right. As always, thanks for listening. We'll. Uh... See you next week. Peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.